conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Marjani Rawls, and we are talking all about Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen's Batman The Dark Knight Returns. This is a classic, iconic Batman comic, and since we're focusing mostly on Batman this month, but you know, there was also a Dick Grayson episode in there, so we're just considering this sort of a fun little Gotham month, but Marjani, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. It's It's been a while, but it's good to be back. Uh, it's been a Batman month. Uh, I've seen the Batman twice already. Nice. So this was right up my alley, other than also being like one of my favorite Batman stories, other than like year one and the long Halloween. You know, yeah, because I, I waited for the Batman the movie for so long yeah. and like it mostly paid off for me. Like I, I, I really enjoyed it. I was wondering if like, I listened to the episode, I was wondering if like you felt <laughs> uh, that almost three hour runtime. Yeah. It's one of those movies where I think the first two and a half hours goes by very nicely. And then it's like that last 20 to 30 minutes. You're just like starting to feel it a little more. And Obviously, with a character like Batman, so much has already been said. Like, I have covered Batman Begins, for instance, but I have not covered the Dark Knight movie. And a lot of people I've talked to are like, well, everything's kind of been said about that movie, so it's not like I need to do an episode. I would still like to, at some point, maybe, you know, do it during an anniversary year or something like that. But You could say the same for Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns because it's been out for so long. And just the fact that Frank Miller's work in general, not just Batman, but even a lot of his Daredevil stuff, is just so sought after with especially new comic book readers. You know, those are some of the first recommendations you get, especially with Batman, you know, read year one, read The Dark Knight Returns. And there are a couple comics that come after The Dark Knight Returns as far as sequels go, but I actually haven't read all of those comics. I don't think I read, what is it, Master Race? Yeah, Uh, there's like the Dark Knight Strikes Again, and then like the, the third one's like the Master Race one. Yeah, so I haven't read that third one. I'm pretty sure I read Strikes Again at some point, but my memory of that one is a, a little hazy. But The Dark Knight Returns is a graphic novel here that really just starts with Batman in his retirement phase and coming back out of retirement. And one of the most interesting things that I remembered from this comic was the fact that you have Carrie Kelly as Robin. And Carrie appears in this, Strikes Again, and Master Race. So Carrie Kelly is very much a character who strongly exists in this version of Batman. You won't see Carrie Kelly at the helm of a Robin book or something like that. And it's one of those things where there have been so many Robins over the years, too, between Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damien, and Carrie Kelly. You know, there are just so many 
iterations of Robin because of how many people have played Robin, but also how many times DC has rebooted everything. So what was it for you about The Dark Knight Returns that really stuck with you when you first read it? One of the things is, and it's funny because like we were talking, you know, we were briefly talking about the Batman. And one of the things I liked about that movie is that the depiction of Gotham, like if you think about, you know, like Tim Burton's Gotham, it's very gothic, and uh, Nolan's the like version of Gotham is very like clean and like a real like New York City, but like underneath there's this like crime, there's just crime and like you know like the mob is operating under. With the Dark Knight Returns, like Gotham is terrible, like it's a shithole, and like it's you know crime and with the uh with the mutants and all that the like terrorizing people and it's weird because like you said like bruce is retired he's older but especially in the first part of the you know the comic or graphic novel he he has these like dialogues with himself like batman is another personality like you'd say like you know you can't keep me down for long. And the fact that he's trying to forget and trying to put that beside him, uh, especially with like his confrontation to the mutants before they tried, you know, they try to rob him and then back off. It's like, you know, very early on, you find out that like Bruce Wayne is the mask. Like Batman is the person. So like he can, he cannot be Batman. Like he's, he hasn't been Batman for a while because of Jason Todd dying, but he can be, he could not be Batman for 20 years and eventually he'll go back to that no matter how old he is, because that's who he is. Like, it's not like this like millionaire and in the book, he's like depicted with like this white mustache and he's still kind of like big and like muscular, but he's a little older. Um, it's the navigation of that character that, you know, like, especially with, like, the artwork with bats and and how it's kind of like, you know, he has, like, this, like, I don't want to say, like, a mental illness, but, like, yeah. it's, like, it, it's still that, like... It's an obsession. The, it's an, yeah, it's an obsession. It's it's a, a thing that keeps on gnawing inside of him, and it will never, as long as he's alive, it will never will. So I really like that. Yeah, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I've been taking Scott Snyder's Substack class on, you know, writing comics and collaborating and he does basically different different topics each class and he pulled up the first page of The Dark Knight Returns in one of the classes just to sort of show everyone how this first page where you have, you know, all of these panels and the big crash and explosion. And it says this would be a good death, but not good enough. And just how that first page alone tells you everything that's going to happen in this comic before it shows it to you. Because by the end of this, and I guess I'll spoiler warning this, but I feel like this comic has been out long enough that hopefully we don't need to do that. But there you go anyway. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of this, Batman fakes his death. 
he dies, but it wasn't good enough. It's just like this whole thing, and it happens with other uh, characters too, like with Harvey Dent and Joker. That like you can't have you can't help to be who you are. Like Harvey Dent goes like under like therapy and plastic surgery, but he still goes and commits crime. And then when Joker is seems like he's fine, as soon as he hears Batman, he gets awakened from being in a catatonic state and like goes on a murdering rampage. Like I think Frank Miller did a really good job in showing like in this backdrop of Gotham that through these facades and through like trying to rebuild rehabilitate people or trying to Things like it's all going to come out in the wash as soon as they're exposed to each other. Yeah, there's also a lot going on in this comic as far as commentary of the times. You see a lot of Ronald Reagan in this. You get a lot of quote unquote news clips because you're just sort of seeing these talking heads in a bunch of the little panels. And another thing this comic does is it takes Jim Gordon out of the commissioner role and it puts... Ellen Yandel in place as the successor. And she is so adamant about arresting Batman. And she starts to sort of have these doubts after Joker goes on a crime spree. And Joker is obviously a part of this story, but he's not taking over like he tends to do in a lot of other comics, which I enjoyed. I think we've seen so much of Batman versus Joker over the years that to have Joker pop up and not become the center of attention, I think takes a special kind of touch in comics, just because he is such a big personality. And you also have Superman showing up in this, and you have a very, very different version of Selina Kyle than I think we're used to seeing in a lot of comics, too. You know, all of these characters are older, and the only one who doesn't feel older is Superman, for obvious reasons, because he's yeah. not human. <laughs> and... Then you have the mutant leader and all of these, you know, sort of gang members, and they all look like Cyclops for a lot of this, which I think is funny. But there are so many characters who pop up in these four issues. Granted, the four issues are not 20-page issues. They're definitely much longer because this is, you know, a full graphic novel, which Typically, you'll have anywhere from like five to seven issues in a story arc. So these are slightly longer issues. And you can sort of feel that at times just because you have, you know, a little longer in between these sort of cliffhangers, if you will, that a lot of writers will try to have at the end of issues. But I think it works well for this kind of story because Batman has slowed down in his old age and the story, the way it's written really reflects that just to go off to that point it's funny because he's as fit as a 55 year old would be in the story but he's been out of the game so like when he first fights that mutant leader he gets his ass kicked but you know going back to it he starts to use like that detective brain of his and then like and i think this is one of the things that the animated version of um, the Dark Knight Returns depicts really well. It's like, you know, he 
He's like, all right, we're going to fight in this big mud hole, and then I'm going to disable you and then beat you. Like, it, it shows how much of a tactician Batman is. Um, I Going back to your Joker point, I also agree that I, I like that he's not the center of the story. Obviously, when they introduce him, there's also that, like, sore spot of Jason Todd getting killed. And... The way that they do Joker kind of as the end of, I guess, the second act of this whole, you know, four-part story. It's great because they have, like, this that final fight. And even though, you know, Batman has him near death, he still can't... He still doesn't violate his code. Like, you can't kill him. But it's a sick joke because Joker ends up breaking, killing himself. So it's... Funny because I, you know, you can tell like Batman wanted to do it, but now, especially with like all the people that he's murdered and like how much he hates Joker, but he was also robbed of it too. Um, because like they, Joker wants him to kill him, but you know, Batman can't. So yeah, I love that little like dichotomy to the end of what they had. Uh, yeah, I felt like a, a lot of the story is like confronting what Batman means and his, you know, vigilantism. Uh, like you said, like Ellen Yandel, like is a staunch critic of, critic of Batman other than, you know, Commissioner Gordon, who obviously knows Bruce Wayne is Batman and they've been in, you know, partnership for years. But then there's also like the Reagan aspect on being like tough on crime and tough on vigilantism and it's a it's funny that superman is like the like his right hand man or like the agent of the government and where like you know him and batman are in opposition where it seems like batman does what he wants to do and gets things done but also like superman like is like, no, I can't let you do this. And Superman has had a big change in this. His identity as Clark Kent is known. He's an agent of the U.S. government. And we see how things fall apart between him and Batman, who never have the best relationship. They do at times in the comics, but there's always that, not necessarily suspicion from Bruce, but he's always cautious. He always has that kryptonite with him or somewhere nearby just in case because he knows how powerful Superman is and what can happen if someone is able to turn him, which we've seen in numerous comics as well over the years, how Superman has been manipulated and sort of, you know, turns to the dark side for a bit. And Batman is someone who has always been able to keep everyone in check, really. And you see the banter between him and Oliver Queen as well, because I would say most of the other heroes, especially the ones who have been in, you know, like the Justice League with Batman, don't love listening to Batman, even though he's almost always right. Oh, no. Um, but in, like, in Oliver Queen's kind of like the fence like superman did take his arm you know so like 
Uh, like, I understand that. Yeah, like, Batman and Superman have always had, like, this, you know, I guess, frenemy relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, like, I, I, if you want to call it that, like, they're, like, allies, but at the same time, like, you know, Batman, you know, Bruce looks at, you know, Clark is, like, this righteous Boy Scout, which, I mean, at times, Superman can be. You know, like, you know, the greater good and justice, like, he, he has things in mind, but at the same time, like, Batman's like, listen, like, just stay out of my way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, please just stay out of my way. And especially when they have that, you know, that talk before, uh, you know, the final confrontation and, and things of that nature. It's going down to their final fight. It's like, it puts them on even footing because... You know, you would think that Superman, as powerful as he is, would just beat the hell out of Batman. And, like, he, he does kind of compromise his, like, I, I guess this, I'll call it a Superman buster suit. He compromises it, but, like, with, you know, again, going to, like, Bruce's ingenuity and kind of also being almost one step ahead of everybody, he gets Oliver to shoot that, you know, that kryptonite arrow. And, and things like that. And I think one of the... It goes back to, like, one of those... The famous lines in comics that, like, a lot of people point to when you say, like, Superman is, like, the greatest... Um, <laughs> the the greatest superhero ever. And before, you know... Hopefully I'm getting this right. But, like, this is the man... You know, you have to look at the man who beat you. Yeah, I just found that being very powerful. Even before uh, Bruce, uh, spoiler alert, fakes his death. Yeah, and honestly, I had read this before, but there was so much that happens in it that I forgot about a lot of it. Like, I remembered Carrie Kelly as Robin. I remembered it was Batman sort of coming out of retirement, and there was this whole thing with the cops. But some of the sort of B-plot just totally went out of my mind. <laughs> and so revisiting this was really nice. And, you know, Carrie has short hair, so she gets mistaken for the boy wonder quite a bit in this. And I don't know if that gets addressed later on, but she's 13. And we all know that Bruce takes in these younger kids for the most part. I think maybe... Jason Todd might have been the oldest at the time of, you know, becoming Robin. I'm not really 100% sure on that. So don't quote me on that. But Dick was obviously very young. And Damien, well, that's a little different since he is Batman's, Bruce's actual son. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. you have sort of these kids who all come in around roughly the same age. And it's not even that Carrie Kelly is like a kid who is getting into trouble or, you know, is in some dire situation at home. She's a pretty normal kid. She is just someone who comes along and saves Batman's life dressed as Robin. You know, she's dressing up as Robin on her own. And it was one of those things that I really liked how they changed that. It's not like she had to have dead parents. She didn't need to be an orphan or anything 
along those lines. And it was honestly refreshing. Yeah, she, yeah, Carrie, like you said, she's not, you know, like, you know, like Dick and uh, Jason Todd, like, she's not an orphan, but like she has, but her parents are, they might as well have not, they might as well not be there, you know, like, I think off, like, uh, off frame, one of them says, like, didn't we have a kid or something like that? <laughs> um, and, you know, Bruce comes, like, when her and her friend gets attacked by, like, the mutant gang members, he comes and saves her. But she gets, you know, she becomes inspired, and then she, like, I think she, what, spends, like, gets her lunch money on a Robin outfit? Yeah, something like that. And a quick note on the parents thing. They do definitely say that, but, you know, she's not without a place to live, and all of these things that we've seen with previous Robins. And I think that was sort of the big difference that I noticed. It's like, okay, she is not an orphan. She has parents. Yes, they're not fantastic parents, but she's doing well in school. She's a Girl Scout, I think. And she is, you know, at least somewhere where she has a roof over her head. And I don't know about back then, but I'm pretty sure you have to pay to be in Girl Scouts. So I imagine her parents at least paid for that. Yeah, yeah. They they probably like did that to be like, okay, let, let's get her, let, let's have her do something. Let's get her out of her hair or yeah. something like that. <laughs> like even when she like goes on as Robin, like she uses like a slingshot and firecrackers, which is like, which is funny. You know what I mean? Like, um, and she's also like a gymnast, so like she has some know-how, but obviously she needs to be trained in fighting and, and things like that. Because I, I don't know, you know, if you could beat somebody like Two Face with like firecrackers. Yeah, that <laughs> that is very true. But overall, I think the way that this depicts Bruce as mostly Batman. And, you know, like you said earlier, Bruce is the mask, not Batman. And that comes across very clearly in this. It is not beating around the bush with anything it is trying to say in this comic. It is very straightforward. And I like that even though it's straightforward, Frank Miller isn't treating the audience like they need to be told everything. That's certainly not the case. It's just the way that Bruce acts and the way that he is drawn in this and the way he talks to other people, it's very clear what Bruce is going through in his quote-unquote retirement. And you have this sort of injection of youth once Carrie comes along and it seems to be what he needed because there's a comment that Jim makes in this about Batman and Dick Grayson. And it's very clear that Bruce has not talked to Dick in a long time. I think he says it's been years, in fact. And that is when it hits you just how far he sort of fell and how he pushes people away. Oh, yeah. He definitely, like, blames himself for Jason to the point where, like you said, like, he doesn't talk, he hasn't talked to Dick in years and this in this story and it's like the thing like especially in the beginning of the book like when he meets like the mutant gang and then 
when he's sitting down and the mask of Zorro comes mm-hmm. on, it's almost like uh, a person who, uh, like, say, like, there's a full moon out and a person starts to turn into a werewolf. Like, all these triggers are, like, happening to him where it's like, oh, God, like, I can't stop this. Like, no matter, no matter how I how far I push this down inside myself, like, and how much, you know, I try to make it seem like I don't care about what's happening in Gotham right now. I still have to do something. I still have to be that person. And I think that really comes along full circle. And this, in Frank Miller's story, you know, especially like if, when, you know, when he defeats, like the mutant leader and then the gangs start calling them the sons of Batman. But then he was like, Oh, like they start all violent. And he's like, Whoa, no, 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 no. Like you have to be like a non-lethal or like, a, like a helper gang, basically. Um, it's, it was kind of great to see how like his character almost evolve, even though he's kind of, he's obviously, you know, a little crestfallen he's jaded for losing but like even taking on carrie and his relationship with a very elder alfred at this point who basically you know his his father like uh, or even like selena kyle it's sad because like it's it's also making up for lost time but also it's like damn man like you know if you would have allowed yourself to like feel and like allowed people to be there for you like it could have been more yeah and they kill off alfred in this so they're not afraid to have us lose some characters that have held such an importance in batman and bruce's life over the years you know as soon as we see wayne manor go up alfred has a stroke and just dies, you know? So they hit you hard with some of this stuff. And the final two pages, when you have the heartbeat coming back, and Clark just winks, and then you have that final page where they're basically being left alone. Bruce knows this, and you have Oliver there too. And they're just sort of getting ready for the next phase. And he has decided that this is what a good life looks like to him. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously he's lost Alfred, so he's lost that pillar there, but now he can be that pillar to other people, like he could be that pillar to to Carrie, and then, you know, the sons of Batman, and it's, and, and maybe a little bit of Oliver too. It's cool, you know, it's this full circle moment where now Bruce has, uh, not like like jumped into seclusion like now he's well he's no let me let me back up he's in seclusion because like it's like kind of like a silent agreement that like superman would leave him alone but he's ready to take on crime again but he also knows his limitations like he is he is 56 (laughs) so like now i have to train up you know despite losing robins i have to train up younger and other you know and others to like take the fight with me because I'm, I'm not the only one who you know can do this or has to do this 
and that's all that's also spoken about in like the dark knight strikes again and um also like the thing of like you know the u.s government like you know wonder woman and captain marvel kind of like brought in also so um but you know he trains up like an army of like bat boys and, and things and it's another yeah it's another like book where like you know bruce actually opens himself up who would have thought right yeah there's a reason this comic is such a classic and like i said at the beginning it's tough because a lot has already been said about this but Merjani, do you have anything else before we move into a special little segment for this episode speaking about that like special little segment like i said like I've, this is one of my favorite batman stories especially because it speaks about like you know um, government and you know what's good for like a, a mass of people versus a city like Gotham and really gets into the Bruce's origins where like the villains in it and, and maybe you could look at Superman as kind of a pseudo villain like it's all a part of Bruce's um, personality and like what he's gone through over the years I think that Frank, you know, Frank Miller and everything from the, like the artwork and and everything like is just I, I think is phenomenal. Um, the animated version is also good. Um, if you, everybody can go, you know, check that out and seek that out, it, it's pretty good. I think Peter Weller does the voice for Batman. Yeah, you're like Robo, you're like RoboCop, like does the voice. He does a good job. So like, yeah, that that's. All I got. Shout out real quick to Lynn Varley, who did colors on this because it works really well with the tone of the story. And on to our segment now, where you want to talk a little bit about how this comic influenced Ben Affleck's version of Batman in the movies. And obviously, Affleck was one of the older actors to play the character. And you have this sort of more gruff, I guess you could say, version of the character, even more so than I think we see in the Nolan movies, just because of how much he has been through. We don't see Robin in Batman versus Superman, but we do see that graffitied Jason Todd Robin suit. And that is the closest we get to having Robin in any movie that features Affleck's Batman. So for you, what about Affleck did you think they did well and what aspects did you enjoy that they pulled from this comic? Well, I mean, I feel like a lot of the discussion kind of gets lost with Affleck's Batman because he, I guess he didn't really get a proper arc, I guess. I mean, it it's fuller with Zack Snyder's Justice League out now. Like you, you mm-hmm. see, kind of like the you know out of the out of the darkness, Bruce. You know, in that movie, um, you know, it, it hit the best depiction is from obviously like Batman, Superman, Dawn, Dawn of Justice. Um, we get you know we get another flashback of Bruce. Like, Bruce's parents dying. I'm so glad they did not do that in the Batman. Like, I think we know his, you know, Joe Chill shooting them outside of uh, the theater. Like, we've seen that enough. Mm -hmm. Um, 
What I think they did well is like Ben Affleck's Batman, who's obviously older. He's very, very, very jaded in this one. Like he's very skeptical of everything in this, I guess. I'm a little bit more fond on the movie, but it's a hoshposh of a movie because it's dealing with a lot of subjects. But like he's more of a menacing horror character in this. Because when you first see him in the warehouse, like it's almost shown like he's like uh like like a like a villain. Like he's branding people, he's brutalizing people, and it comes into like this collision course with, you know, uh, Clark Kent or Superman because like who he's like who the hell is this vigilante and like why is he branding people and why is he doing this but I I like the dinner scene where they both talk to each other without knowing who each other are each other are and you know Bruce kind of like rebuffs him is like who who is this like you know, like, uh, the Daily Planet does puff pieces on Superman all the time. Like, we don't know, you know, kind of like the basis of, like, he's an alien. Like, who is he to operate the way that he wants? And Batman can't do can't do that. Obviously, like, the physicality of Affleck's Batman, you know, training and the exoskeleton suit fighting Superman is very comic uh, dynamic. Not the Martha scene, though. <laughs> Not no. I don't know. I still, I still don't like that scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, that kind of takes you out of the fight. But um, just basically, kind of how that Bruce, uh, how that Bruce and Batman operates. Of he's, you know, he's more of a thinker. He has more of a um, an edge to him, especially in that warehouse scene. I, I, he has to kill people. Like there's, I counted like five people that. I mean, he smashes a guy's head in, in like, the floor. He throws, like, a, a wooden panel at another guy. I'm like, okay. Like, this Batman is... His no-killing code is obviously not... I don't have a problem with that. But, like, mm-hmm. his no-killing code is, is void here. He's killed at least five people. I think that that's the closest we'll get to, like, the Dark Knight Returns Batman. I thought it did a good job. Um, I have no idea what they're doing with the Flash. I know that Affleck's Batman is coming back for that. Yeah, and maybe Keaton's. dying. Yeah, and and Keaton's Batman. So like, it's like, does Ben Affleck's Batman supposed to be the older Batman? But Keaton's Batman is the older older <laughs> Batman. So is he gonna be like the Dark Knight Returns kind of Batman or the Batman Beyond Batman? Because he's also gonna supposed to be in Batgirl. So. And, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I can't say I'm excited for it, but my note on Affleck's Batman is I do wish he would have had a solo movie because of the fact that we see him in this sort of rampage that we haven't seen Batman in before because like you said he always had that no kill code and here sure we see the Jason Todd suit but I feel like that's not enough justification in that movie for him to act the way that he does yeah it's very I guess the problem I would have with that is that like it's very okay like this is what's coming we can explain this 
in a future movie. And, of course, Ben Affleck wrote and was supposed to direct the Batman movie until, you know, the the you know how DC does its slates. Like, mm-hmm. it's, they'll announce a movie, then they'll cancel it. Then they'll announce four movies, and then they'll cancel them or only make two. So I think that, like, you you get that scene where he looks at the suit and is kind of looking at, like, a brood, like, you know, a brooding way. And it's like, you know that's the Joker. But at the same time, it would kind of be nice to, you know, to kind of see it. You know, to, like, drive that point home. Mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying with that. Like, it was like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it kind of had to be explained afterwards, you know? So, like, comic book nerds like you and I know what that scene is about. But at the same time, like, somebody who, like, is coming into it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's Jason Todd. That's the, you know, the guy Joker killed. Yeah, there's a lot that I think Affleck just never got the chance to do, which is unfortunate. But I did enjoy The Batman. So I am hoping that DC will sort of stick with Pattinson for a while and give us enough of sort of this backstory, especially because that one took place so early in Bruce being Batman. So I think there's a lot more room to work with there. But let's move on to some recommendations. I know you sort of mentioned a couple things along the way here, but I am going to suggest that people check out Scott Snyder's Batman run, in particular, the two zero-year trades, which is Secret City and Dark City. I think that's when Snyder's run really starts to do something different. Not that I don't love The Court of Owls, The City of Owls, and Death of the Family, which all three of those come before zero-year. But I think if you're looking for something that's a little different, that run is a great run to read all the way through, in my opinion. So either start with The Court of Owls or read Zero Year, whichever way you want to do it. One of my recs is going to be The Long Halloween, Jeff Loeb's uh, Long Halloween. I think it's a perfect companion to, like, watching The Batman. Uh, If you want to, like, get an evolution of how the rogues gallery came and how kind of how, like, The Batman ends with, you know... Oz looking out to the city as he becomes Penguin and uh, that scene where like, oh, like the Joker's in Arkham Asylum too with the Riddler. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a good reintroduction to kind of, you know, see how Batman's like rogues gallery evolves and like Two-Face and Scarecrow and Joker. Like, uh, and one of my favorite uh, Batman villains that I hope that they make into like a live action adaptation of him, the Mad Hatter. Yeah, like check this yeah, check this run out. It's like I think it's about thirteen issues, but it's well worth like the read, like check it out. Yeah, I completely agree. So on that note, Marjani, I think that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about the classic Batman comic, The Dark Knight Returns. No problem. Thank you for having me.